0: You're listening to the Word of Hope, sermons preached at Hope Lutheran Church in Aurora, Colorado. Today's sermon is preached by Pastor Brian Wolfmuller. Amen. Dear Saints, as far as I can sort out, the reason why we have a picture of an anchor on the altar is because of this passage, Hebrews chapter 6. So when God desires to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose— He guaranteed it with an oath, so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. We have this hope as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Now, there's a lot going on in that passage, but the picture that I want to draw your attention to this morning is right in the middle. We have a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters the inner place behind the curtain. For this reason, the anchor has long been a symbol of our Christian hope. And, and this is the picture. Imagine that you're in the boat and you're out all night fishing or sailing or whatever, and you finally come to the shore and one of the sailors would jump off of the boat and bring a rope with an anchor and put that anchor on the shore so that the, the boat would be tethered. Now, you would still be on the boat rocking, uh, you know, the ups and downs of the oceans and everything else, but soon you would be off and on the dry ground. Now the text in Hebrews has that picture of the anchor being brought to the shore, but it adds a layer of complexity to it. So you have to imagine right on the shore that the temple is there. Remember the temple that God had built in Jerusalem that had the holy place and then the curtain and beyond the curtain, the holy of holies where the Ark of the Covenant was? Now, so here's the picture. You're on the boat, and Jesus is on the boat with you, and the boat comes to the shore, and Jesus takes the rope, and he carries it off the boat onto the shore, into the temple, into the holy place, beyond the curtain, and he goes into the Holy of Holies with that anchor, and he wraps the anchor around the Ark of the Covenant and the mercy seat of God. And this, says Hebrews, is the anchor of your soul. Now, you're still on the boat. You're still tossed to and fro by the waves and the sea. You're still in the middle of the storms and the uncertainties, but you are lapped to the throne of God. You are anchored to the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus. This is your hope. Now, you can imagine it like this. If you can imagine this morning a rope that is tied around your own waist and that that rope runs straight through that anchor there and disappears into the heavenly reality where Jesus is. This is the hope which anchors your own soul. And you can imagine that every time you come up to communion, Jesus is on the other side of that rope, and He's pulling you closer to Himself. Or every time you hear the Scriptures read... So that rope is pulling you closer to Himself. Every time you hear the Word of God preached, every time you hear the absolution, Jesus is on the other side of the veil where He has entered before you as the forerunner, but He has tied Himself to you, and He's pulling you there with Him. This is our hope. Remember the words of Hebrews. We have a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain. Now, this is important for us to remember. Because, and I'm more and more convinced of this just about every day, that one of the devil's chief strategies or chief attacks on us is on our hope, on your hope. And I see evidence of this every day, of hope assaulted, of people losing hope, of people falling into despair, The future, I think for most of us, maybe for all of us, the future seems dark or at least murky or unsure, and there's different reasons for this, and it manifests itself in different ways for all of us, but all of it amounts to an assault on our hope. We see that things are bad, and we think, well, surely they're just going to keep getting worse, and for whatever reason, you've noticed this no doubt, for whatever reason, the bad stuff and the fearful stuff and the troublesome stuff, it sticks to us while all the good stuff just wanders away. Now, there are words that the Bible uses over and over again to describe our Christian life. And really, the three words that we have constantly before us are these, faith and love and last hope. And it makes sense to us that if the Lord is going to shape up our lives according to these things, faith, hope, and love, then the devil is also going to attack these three things. Now consider then, faith means that we trust the promises of God and we know that the promises of God are for us. We know that the death of Jesus was to pay the price for our own sins, that His blood was spilt for us, that the promise of forgiveness of sins is for you and believing it, you have it. That's faith. And we're justified by faith. We're ready to stand before the Lord on the last day by faith. And love. Love is what we do. Love is the word that the Bible gives to describe our lives, our thoughts, our words, our deeds, that we love the Lord with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and that we love our neighbor as ourselves. Love does no wrong to the neighbor, so love is the fulfillment of the law. But what about hope? I mean, we know what faith means. We know what love means. But what does hope mean? What is it? I mean, We, after all, are called Hope Lutheran Church. We probably should spend some time thinking about hope. Hope, at least this, we know this at least, hope at least has to do with the future. How things are going to go tomorrow and the next day. Now, I think as we begin to think about it, we can make a distinction between natural hope and Christian hope. Natural hope or human hope has to do with the things of this life. So we hope the weather will be nice, we hope the California fires will come under control. We hope the test results from the doctor are good. We hope we'll do well in the class that we're taking at school. This kind of stuff, this is a natural hope, but our Christian hope is something else entirely, something much more. It is the hope in the second coming of Jesus and the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. Now, it is different than our natural hope because our natural hope is mostly just a guess. We we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. We hope it goes well, but we're not really sure. But our Christian hope is a sure hope because it is built on the promises of God. And in this way, faith and hope are very close to one another. In fact, Hebrews, when it defines faith, it defines faith as the certainty of things hoped for and the confidence of things not seen. But we note this difference. Faith is a trust in the things that God has done already, and hope is a trust in the things that God has promised He will do. Our faith, if you can think of it this way, our faith reaches backwards through the Scriptures to grab a hold of the things that God has done for us already, especially the death and the resurrection of Jesus. But hope reaches forward through the Scriptures to the things that Jesus has promised. The restoration of all things the making right of every wrong, the punishment of the devil, the judgment of the wicked, the resurrection of the dead, the wiping away of every tear, the new heaven and the new earth where righteousness dwells eternally, where we will fully know and fully be known, and where we will see the face of Jesus. This is what hope grabs a hold of. Now, a lot of times, and here I want to, in a way, I want to pick up the theme that we started in the voters' meeting last Sunday, a lot of times we are tempted to think of the last days and the second coming of Jesus in dark terms. Our imagination is of the world that's on fire. And this probably comes from our study of the book of Revelation with all its apocalyptic terror scenes of beasts and dragons and blood and brimstone. And so we think that the last day is like the setting of the sun, the end of the world. But the Bible speaks of the last day not in terms of sunset, but rather as the great morning. So that we, dear saints, do not live in the dusk of the world, but right before the dawn. The last day is our day of hope. Now, it's true, it is true, that the Bible will use dramatic language to impress upon us the terror of the last day, And Jesus wants us to be ready for that day, to be alert, to be awake, to be prepared. And that's the language of the scriptures that we heard in the text today. And I think that this readiness and this preparedness comes to us in three different ways. There is the readiness of faith, which we talked about a few weeks ago, the parable of the five wise and five foolish virgins. We're ready for the second coming when we believe the promise of God. And there is the readiness of love which means that when Jesus returns, He finds us loving and serving our neighbor, not cheating them and hurting them. But there is also a third readiness, and that's what we want to consider this morning. There is a readiness of hope, which means this, that the last day, the coming of Jesus, the tearing apart of the clouds, and the appearing of Jesus in His glory, that that last day comes as our great expectation and we are joyful. That when the dawn comes at last, we breathe a sigh of relief because the thing that we've been looking for is here. You see, hope knows that the terror of the last day discussed in the Scriptures is not for us. It's not for you. Hope knows that the last day is the day of our rescue. Now, here's the picture for it. This is, a, this is from the preaching of Martin Luther. And I think this is the... Well, I don't know if I can say this. I'll say it anyways. I think this might be the best thing that Luther ever preached. I'll tell you, it's this picture. Imagine that you're in a castle. And one of those old castles that was built for war, big, huge stones with moats and towers and everything like that, and that that castle is under siege. It's surrounded by an army that's attacking it. And the army all the way around has these catapults that are throwing the huge stones into the castle walls, trying to tear it down. And every time one of those stones hits the wall, the entire castle rumbles, the walls shake, and the roof rattles, and the floors roll a little bit. And you think, this whole thing is going to collapse. But here's the beautiful part of the picture. You're in that castle because you are in the dungeon. You are a prisoner of that castle and a prisoner of the king who has that castle. You are being held against your own will. And the army that surrounds the castle, that's the army of your father who's come to rescue you. Now, every blow to the castle brings you one moment closer to your freedom. Every time a A rock falls out of the wall and a beam of light shines through. Then you have hope, so that every crash, every boom, every trumpet, every shout, every sound of war and of violence is like music to your ears because it is the sound of your rescue, the sound of your deliverance, the sound of your hope. The sounds, says Jesus, of your redemption. That's the way that Jesus talks about it in the Gospel text, Luke 21. Now when you see these things beginning to take place, straighten up and raise up your heads because your redemption is drawing near. Do you see? So that for you, the Christian, every indication of the end of the world, every tragedy, every sorrow, every bit of bad news, all the wars and rumors of wars, All the troubles of this life are the sounds of warfare, the kingdom of God assaulting the kingdom of the devil, the kingdom of darkness being overcome by the kingdom of light, and you belong to that second kingdom. We are the children of light, so that it is not the darkness that breaks upon us, but the light, the dawn is coming, the sun is rising with healing in its wings. Now think about that when you wake up in the morning with a new ache. <laughs> it's like a rock hitting the side of the castle. Or think about that when you watch the news and you hear of another tragedy, or you, or you go to fight another battle. Think of that—it's a rock hitting the side of the castle, and who, soon this whole thing's going to crumble. Your redemption draws near. Our hope is coming. This is the Bible's teaching constantly, that our hope is the second coming of Jesus. Here's a couple of passages. First Peter chapter 1, starting with verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this, says Peter, you rejoice. Or consider St. Paul, Titus chapter 2, starting with verse 11. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave Himself for us to redeem us. Do you hear it? Or Paul again, Romans chapter 8. We ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption of sons, the redemption of our bodies. That's the resurrection. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Dear saints, we wait for it with patience. We wait for it with hope. You, by the word of God and by the gift of your baptism, are lashed to the throne of God in heaven. You are bound to Jesus in his resurrection. You are held here in the midst of the darkness by the one who has already entered the light, and one day soon, very soon, one day soon, he will be back for you, to rescue you from this body of death and from this veil of tears. He will, on that day, wipe away every tear from your eye, even as he tears open your grave and the graves of all that we love and brings us into life that knows no end. On that day, the devil, with all of the demons, will be thrown into the lake of fire, and he will no longer trouble you, so that you, can you imagine this, will be beyond his reach, no more temptation, no more trouble, no more sorrow. No longer will the sun beat down on you. No longer will you labor in vain. No longer will, you, will your days be lacked with, marked by weariness and lack and want. No more hope will give way to sight. Because on that last day, as the mountains fall into the depths of the sea and the stars fall to the earth, and as the devil is put in his place, and as the Lord rends the earth, and it all starts to dissolve in fire, on that last day you will stand peaceful and secure in the hands of Jesus that are pierced for you. You will be unmoved, and you will see Him. Face to face. No longer in the shadow of the mirror, but you will know and be fully known because that day for you is your great hope. That day for you and for me is the day of rescue and relief. That day is the day that we long for. So, may the God of all hope fill you all with joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Amen. The peace of God, which passes all understanding, guard your hearts and minds through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.